My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 24, and we're reading from the NIV version of the Bible. Today, we're reading Genesis 43 and 44, Job 35 and 36, and Proverbs 4, verse 10 through 19. Genesis 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with us. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we have not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds— Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with us. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the man took the gifts and double the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, With them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house. Slaughter an animal and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, We were brought here because of silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord. They said, we came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. 
When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, Serve the food. They served by himself, the brother by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from us and also uses for divination? This is wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such a thing? Far be it from your servant to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servant is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, "'What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination?' What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Why are now my Lord's slaves? We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant. My Lord, let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he's the only one of his mother's son left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servant, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, Go back and buy a little more food. But we said, We cannot go. Only if our youngest brother is with us, we will go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. 
Our servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now, then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Job 35. Then Elayu said, Do you think this is just? You say I am in the right, not God. Yet you ask him, What profit is Is it to me? And what do I gain by not sinning? I would like to repay to you and to your friends with you. Look up at the heavens and see. Gaze at the clouds so high above you. If you sin, how does that affect him? If your sins are many, what does that do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness only affects humans like yourself, and your righteousness only other people. People cry out under a load of oppression. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful. But no one says, where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than he teaches the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than birds in the sky? He does not answer when people cry out because of arrogance of the wicked. Indeed, God does not listen to their empty plea. The Almighty pays no attention to it. How much less then will he listen when you say that you do not see him, that your case is before him and you must wait for him, and further that his anger never punishes and he does not take the least notice of wickedness? So Job opens his mouth with empty talk. Without knowledge, he multiplies words. Elayu continues, Bear with me a little longer and I will show you that there is more to be said in God's behalf. I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my Maker. Be assured that my words are not false. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their rights. He does not take his eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. But a people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction. He tells them what they have done, that they have sinned arrogantly. He makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. If they obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. But if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart harbor resentment. Even when he fetters them, they do not cry for help. They die in their youth among male prostitutes of the shrines, but those who suffer he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. But now you are laden with the judgment due to the wicked. Judgment and justice have taken hold of you. By Careful, be careful that no one entices you by riches. Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. Would your wealth or even all your mighty efforts sustain you so would not be in your distress. Do not long for the night to drag people away from their homes. Beware of turning to evil, which you seem to prefer to affliction. God is exalted in his power. Who, who is a teacher like him? 
Who has prescribed his ways for him, or said to him, You have done wrong? Remember to extol his work, which people have praised in song. All humanity has seen it. Mortals gaze on it from afar. How great is God beyond our understanding. The number of his years is past finding out. He draws up the drops of water which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from his pavilion? See how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea. This is the way he governs the nations and provides food in abundance. He fills his hand with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known its approach. Proverbs 4 verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of the evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil." They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining even brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. All right, this story picks up with Judah, Jacob's fourth son, offering to take personal responsibility for the safety of his youngest brother, their father's favorite son at this point. Judah admits that if there is a failure, he is to blame. This attitude is so different from earlier Judah we read about, the one who proposed that they sell Joseph to his brothers, who at the time was Jacob's favorite son before he thought he was dead. Wow, I'm having trouble thinking of a time that I was willing to take personal responsibility for someone or something that by the very nature of the relationship, one where someone else was the favorite and this hurt me, that I was willing to sacrifice my desire for favor or equality or first love out of my faith and and love for my family and their well-being. And perhaps that still small voice that belongs to God that is calling me, it's calling us into this type of prodigal love for others, even if and even when it hurts our sense of what should be or what could have been if someone else, even someone in a position of leadership like a parent or a boss, is not mature, at least in some regard. I find that very convicting. Hmm, something to reflect on. Then Jacob accepts this act of prodigal love from his son Judah and allows Benjamin to go. Joseph plays a trick on his brothers, it seems, in order to keep his younger brother Benjamin with him. But Judah's declaration of the truth, his father's favor for Benjamin over him, them, and how the father's first favorite brother Joseph had died. Again, this is interesting. If Judah had known he sold him into slavery, this doesn't seem like the answer he would have given when he was being so vulnerable in every other notable action that the author's presenting in this story. So I don't know. I'm still wrestling with the fact that maybe the brothers didn't sell him. Actually, they thought he was dead because something happened there. So I'm still wrestling with that. Okay, back to chapter 44, verse 30 and 31. Rabbi Foreman, according to Marty Solomon, says, This time, Judah confronts head-on the terrible truth that started it all. Jacob, my father, loved Rachel more than he loved my mother. And he loved her children more than he loved me. Jacob's soul seems bound to Benjamin's, and I, being Judah, accept that. I'm not battling against that anymore. 
Judah offers himself in the place of Benjamin to Joseph, asking Joseph to accept him and let Benjamin go home. This might be one of Judah's finest moments. Joseph's response is forgiveness, restoration, and redemption of his brothers, somewhat like the story of his father Jacob and brother um, Esau. We'll read more about that um, tomorrow. Remember, this is the same Judah who we read about as wanting to sell Joseph. This Judah who has kept his youngest son from Tamar when the Hittite law dictated that he should marry her. Then he slept with her and almost had her killed until he recognized his own participation in wrongdoing and made the situation right. Or maybe we could just say made it better. This is the Judah that God chose as one of the grand patriarchs alongside Tamar to bring Jesus the promised wounded victor, into the world. I'm so compelled to just sit and chew, wrestle, dwell on Judah's action, and reflect on some of the personal and professional situations I face. Judah is reflecting the immutable character of God's prodigal love for us, a people who often favor other idols. In this story, Judah is acting as a wounded victor in a way. It hurts him to know he isn't the favorite or that his father didn't love his mother as much as uh, as another, but he still wants the victory of restoration and redemption for his family to be to stay united and be blessed with provision to keep going. The desire for restoration and redemption outweighs his hurt. This confronts me to index the people and things I favor and how I show regard. It convicts me to consider if and how gracious I am to others, even if and when I'm not regarded or favored for the greater purpose of redemption, restoration, and the flourishing of God's purpose instead of my own. This story ties so well with what Eleu is saying to Job in in that story, how the immutable character of God is the center. And even if and when we suffer, lament, even get angry or frustrated— the problem happens when we move to center, move center in our heart away from God and our heart, we stop trusting the justice of God and we stop trusting his character and we believe that we have never or there is no sin in us and we are in a way God with a lower case. And then we begin to like pull away from the truth and there's this type of drift and darkness and this thinking that puts us in a in danger of being consumed. I think back to the verse Genesis 4-7 where evil, the adversary, is crouching at the door eager to control us with these lies or half-truths. But God gave us the ability to subdue it and master it, the verse says, through our knowledge and insight of him that brings discernment. And those who have already read the New Testament know Jesus was not only a sacrifice, but a model for how to live, how to rule and subdue. Yes, I'm referencing back to Genesis 1. And we are offered the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us with fruit as a blessing and to be a blessing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the gifts for us and the hostility we may hold inwardly towards our own selves and others. And these are the gifts we can give to others. This knowledge and practice, it's a practice, creates a type of vision and strength that helps defend us against the hardening of our hearts and that dislocation of it and the blinding of our vision that leads us into exile, sometimes completely catching us off guard. This helps to strengthen us. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, 
found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.